Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. July 1st also marks the beginning of a new era in Canadian environmental policy, what some critics have called the second carbon tax. The clean fuel regulations take effect tomorrow. And that is going to have an impact on the price of gasoline, maybe not immediately. It might take a little while before that all trickles through. Uh, But it is going to have some impact. The parliamentary budget officer had recently done some calculations suggesting that by 2030, this could mean an increase of 17 cents per liter. And that could hit jurisdictions like Alberta, Saskatchewan, particularly hard. Uh, But others say it's not so clear. And it all depends on how this uh, works through the system. So this isn't like the carbon tax in that there's a set rate or a set levy. Uh, but there are costs. So joining us to, to talk about how this all works, what it's likely to mean, very pleased to welcome to the program here this morning, Ross McKittrick, who's a professor of economics, University of Guelph, specializing in environment, energy, and climate policy, and had recently co-authored a study modeling the economic effects of these clean fuel regulations. Professor McKittrick, great to have you with us here this morning. Welcome to the program. Hi, Rob. My pleasure. So what is the government trying to do here? What, what is the purpose or the point of the clean fuel regulations? Well, I guess the point is to try to increase the fraction of biofuels in the fuel mix. Um, Ordinarily, the refining sector uses a bit of ethanol uh, as an additive, um, but the government would like to force them to use a lot more. And the environmental advantage of that, frankly, it's it's controversial whether there is an advantage, but um, biofuels potentially have a lower life cycle carbon content than gasoline depending on how they're made. Um, and, and here, one of the points in the report we made was if we, we're just importing ethanol from the U.S., the ethanol has about the same carbon intensity as the gasoline that, that we make. Um, so we're not actually getting much of an environmental benefit. But in principle, you could get ethanol with a lower carbon intensity. So that's what they're trying to get after. All right. So the purpose is to try to lower the carbon intensity uh, of of the fuel that's being produced, and if if producers or production facilities are unable to do so, uh, what happens then? What is it they have to pay? The um, the alternative that they have is that they can buy credits, and then the credits are used to fund other activities in other sectors like um, carbon capture and storage uh, technologies or charging stations for electric vehicles. And this is where the big unknown is. Um, so the refiners, uh, they're, they're going to have to go into the ethanol market and see what it would cost them to get the ethanol that they need and then assess that against what it would cost. So there will be people that come forward um, creating these credits through setting up EV charging stations, for instance. But um, at this point, you know, we can we can try speculating at what the cost of that is and the effectiveness is, but... Um, it's going to be a lot of trial and error to figure out if that actually brings down the cost of compliance. The um, the blending requirements on day one aren't all that far off existing blending requirements. So day one, uh, except for New Brunswick, where uh, it's a, a different story out there, but um, most most Canadians won't really see a 
a big effect right off the bat. But it is the thin edge of the wedge. Yeah. And um, I think the parliamentary budget officer is correct that the standard modeling is going to mean by 2030 somewhere between 15 and 20 cents a liter. But there could be surprises to the upside because a lot of jurisdictions are going to be trying to get ethanol uh, at the same time. And I think the uh, the cost increase is going to be bigger than what they might be expecting. Well, that's interesting. What do you make of the, the more optimistic then uh, assessments from supporters of this plan who feel that, you know, that, that we'll be able to do this, that through innovation or technology that, that we'll be able to reduce that, that intensity without meaning too much of an impact on, on consumers? Um, the, the economics literature on the ethanol sector um, has, uh, it, it's, we've, we've been looking at it at an interval where um, the overall demand for ethanol hasn't been all that large compared to the capacity for production. And we're now entering a phase where um, we are, uh, we're trying to get volumes of ethanol way beyond what we can produce here in Canada. And it's even, um, we're hitting capacity limits in the United States as well. So there you get into the question of how can that sector expand its capacity, how effectively and at what cost. And so there are unknowns there. The other aspect, though, that I think is left out of the federal discussion is that as more ethanol goes into the fuels, uh, the energy content of the fuel goes down. So in our study, we looked at it not just in terms of what's the price at the pump, but what's the price per distance driven? Because you have to fill up your tank more often as as there's more ethanol in the blend. So the overall cost of the consumer in terms of distance driven, I think, will definitely be higher than what the federal government is letting on. Well, that's interesting. Uh, now, when would we expect to really start to see those costs? We're, we're not likely to see much, uh, uh, you know, tomorrow, as you noted, but when will we start to notice it? Um, it's phased in with annual increments in uh, the, uh, require, the blending requirement. So every year um, we start to get uh, these, these steps up. So um, really we, we look at it just as uh, ideally it'll be a kind of a linear ramp between now and, and 2030 and just every year a couple more cents as the requirements hit. Um, we might get bigger increments, though, um, if, for instance, in the credit trading system, as we learn how that's going to work, for instance, if the take-up on EV charging stations just isn't there, then um, then some of the analyses have to be redone, and we might see larger increments um, that year. Or alternatively, if, say, Brazil is able to supply us with a lot of ethanol at a lower cost and we're projecting, then it might work the other way, that we might have uh, a year with a lower step. But otherwise, it's a bit like the carbon tax. It's every year we're going to come up to a deadline, and then we'll start seeing another increment of a couple of cents a liter. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about, you know, Canada importing vast quantities of ethanol from Brazil. When, when I mean, it's, it's hard to see where all of that is good for the environment. Yeah, there's, uh, I, I, uh, there's a large literature on this. I did uh, an earlier study a few years ago on, on this question of ethanol. Um, depending on where you get it, to produce ethanol, it's a very energy-intensive process. And there are a lot of greenhouse gas emissions uh, generated, uh, especially during the grain drying process. And um, a lot of experts have, have looked at it 
including writers or scientists at the National Academy of Sciences have come back and said, we can't really conclude that this reduces the carbon intensity of fuels unless you have really energy efficient production systems, which is not the case in in uh, many places. So um, if you're thinking about um, the Canadian greenhouse gases at the tailpipe, yes, there's a reduction there, um, but on a life cycle basis, uh, it's not obvious that this actually reduces greenhouse gas emissions. And if it does, it comes at a very high cost. How much of this is, is about trying to encourage uh, the uptake of, of electric vehicles? Uh, how much of the, the increase in the price of gasoline is you know, by design? Well, uh, I do think that that's in the back of the minds of the current federal government, that um, while people don't like paying more for gasoline, there are certainly a lot of people uh, in the federal government that think, well, let's just keep doing everything we can to make gasoline more expensive, and then maybe that will force people to switch to electric vehicles sooner. If they were going to do it that way, though, I would rather they just come out with a higher excise tax or, or something that's just, you know, make their intentions honest. Here, I think they're trying to disguise it in the form of regulation that makes it harder for people to understand what the costs are. And then, like I say, it, uh, it also affects the, the performance of your car and uh, the cost per distance. We'll see how it all shakes out uh, as we kick this new era off tomorrow. Uh, more of your work and, and work on this uh, specifically, RossMcKittrick.com. Uh, Ross, thanks so much for joining us here this morning. Really appreciate it.